Welcome into the Sports Objective here on a Tuesday night. So what a great night. Two weeks away from the bowl game in Birmingham. In just a second, we'll have the Executive Director of Ticket Operations for ECU Coleman, Spain. I uh, want to bring in Bubba Rosenbaum. Bubba, a very sad day losing our very good friend. Uh, well, not friend, but uh, it feels like a friend, and that would be uh, Mike Leach, a great coach. And I uh, just want my thoughts and prayers before we get started about ECU. I just wanted to pitch it to you and a very sad day for college football and college football fans. No doubt. Um, losing a pirate, uh, as you, as you mentioned, uh, not an East Carolina pirate, but uh, Mike Leach is no secret how he, he embraced uh, kind of the pirate mindset and uh, that mentality. He wrote a book, swing your sword and, uh, and Mike Leach, what a, what a, you know, just a true character in every sense of the word, uh, marked to the beat of his own drum and uh, look forward to sharing some stories about him later. Just things you've you've uh, heard on, on podcasts and uh, from other coaches and so forth down through the years um, have had the opportunity to listen to Greg McElroy and some other college football analysts uh, and uh, reporters and so forth on this afternoon. Some um, very entertaining stories it's, it's a shame uh, that we lost coach leach at the young age of 61 no doubt about it. we'll talk later in fact we have former head coach of cincinnati rick mentor he'll be with us later on uh, but first bubba as promised let's bring in coleman spain executive director of ticket operations uh, great to have him on tonight coleman man thank you so much for being on with us absolutely fellas appreciate you having me uh, no doubt. It's uh, certainly, I know, a busy time for you guys. Um, how are things looking over at the ticket office? I know you're always, you guys, as I told you the first time I talked to you on the phone, you guys have a thankless job, and we appreciate all you do for the Pirates and Pirate Nation. Uh, it stays busy and on our end, my man. Yeah, we uh, a lot of things going on right now. We got bowls. We got baseball renewals that are live right now, new season tickets, basketball's in full swing. So, uh, yeah, it never stops. Talk about that. Now, as far as bowling, how are ticket sales looking right now? And um, we obviously want to push that hard while you're on with us. Um, well, I also want to ask you the second part of that is how can people get tickets? Yeah, so initially a little, little slow start, but we've seen it pick up. We're a little over 800 now, so somewhere between 800 to 850. That's steadily increasing kind of as we get a little bit closer to the game. Ticket-wise, I mean, it's pretty easy. You can go on ecupirates.com. We have um, kind of a direct link right there, or they can call the ticket office. Now, Coleman, uh, a season ago, on the Pirates, unfortunately, were unable to play their bowl game in Annapolis in the Military Bowl against Boston College. Uh, that could be a, an entire podcast, and I guess it was um, back last December. Uh, a lot of frustration with that situation. On um, the Pirates, um, Pirate Nation really stepped up for that one. Um, through ECU, um, sold in excess of 5,500, and 
And obviously with what would have been distributed to the team um, via, you know, coaches, families, um, and players, parents, and all those sorts of things. And then what East Carolina fans bought directly from the bowl, it looked like we we're going to have, what, at least 8,000, if not maybe not nine or 10,000, who knows, there in Annapolis. Um, so that's one thing looking at this year. Um, as you mentioned, between 800 and 850, I know way back in 2006, the Pirates were coming off a, a dry spell there, had not been to a bowl since 2001. Um, and we sold 6,400 that year for a game that was two days before Christmas. This year is two, two days after Christmas. And so um, I, I'm a little disappointed thus far to, to only, you know, be right around 800. But um, hopefully Pirate Nation will step up over these next few days. I was hoping that we would sell, you know, maybe 3,000 or so. I know you were using that number uh, from 2013 that was actually in Tampa, the Beefo Brady's Bowl two days before Christmas uh, where we sold between 14 and 1500 as a gauge. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think there's still potential to kind of, like you said, step up and, you know, show out. And I, I think 1500 is very, uh, very attainable, but I mean, last year, last year was something special and it was going to be something special. It sucks that, you know, unfortunately we couldn't play that game, but to see 10,000 pirates, you know, strong in there would have been, would have been a sight for sure. But, yeah, still, still a lot of potential with this one. It's tough, you know, two days after Christmas you know, in Birmingham, a city we've been before. But, I mean, the matchup's there. It's, you know, it should be an exciting one with Grayson McCall. So I'm hoping Pirate Nation shows out for us. And, Coleman, I've actually had friends who have told me that uh, they want to go to the bowl. Uh, but that very fact of two days after the bowl, some of my friends have actually used all their vacation for the year for the job where they work. And so there's no way in the world they can take off uh, for a Tuesday night. And uh, obviously you, if it's, since it's Birmingham, it's not that bad of a drive, but it's still a drive and you have to take off a day or so, you know, so they were uh, disappointed that it was in Birmingham. I'm very happy to have Birmingham. I think uh, the stadium right behind me, by the way, I do have a question for you, Coleman, before I forget what side of the bowl Will what side will be on? Will it be on the press box side, um, or is it the other side? It's going to be on the uh, the stadium club press box side, that west side. Okay, so the west side. Okay, so that'll be cool. I, I know people are going to ask that question, so I want to go ahead and get that out of the way. Uh, I know that uh, Bob. I know Craig had a question. Yeah, Craig Doucette, uh chiming in from Virginia tonight, saying. Um, he bought his tickets through ECU for last year's military bowl when he was bumped to the upper deck. For those of us who can't get better priority with the pirate club due to whatever reason, it's frustrating. So this year I purchased through the bowl website and, and pick my seats. It's unfortunate because I'd rather buy through ECU, but it just doesn't work in my favor. Uh, so uh, Coleman, if you would talk a little about that process and how that works. Yeah, I appreciate the question and it makes sense with that frustration. Like, I mean, we have a process. It's Pirate Club priority that we assign all the tickets. And I think we prefaced it last year, kind of leading into it, that and we'll assign those seats after a certain order deadline. And we let folks order kind of at all available price points. And, when we, you know, when we get to that allocation, there's only a limited inventory and we have 5,500-plus tickets ordered. I mean, it's hard to, hard, you know, hard to get everybody exactly where they want to be, but we did the best we could kind of given those parameters. Uh, that seems like, and I understand, you know, not, it's not you, but that seems like a low number considering 
the bowl itself seats over 40,000. So I've heard different amounts over 40,000. So I'm not quite, I've heard up to 47,000. So it seems like that we would be able to, I guess that's because they have general public tickets they're selling. Yeah, we're talking about military bowl last year. Does that mean that's right? They have tickets that they hold back for them to sell. They have sponsors they take care of and other various units and charities and organizations they take care of. So we get, you know, a certain amount on consignment and we can request more, which we, you know, usually do if the bowl's in demand like it was last year. But they kind of kept our inventory contained. So it's not like we had, you know, right. like at certain price points, like all the, you know, all the available inventory. And we had our various units we had to take care of too. Now, Coleman, uh, talk about the the allotment. Uh, how many how many tickets are or is East Carolina and kind of on the hook for? And um, and uh, obviously, it's a little little different than uh, you know regular season game. I'm I'm guessing, but um, just talk about that and how that works. How many how many tickets uh, are are we responsible for? So we were initially given thirty five hundred on consignment which uh, we're, we're not on the hook for, for any of those tickets. Whatever we okay. don't sell, we can return back to the bowl to sell. And the majority of our inventory I, I requested from the bowl directly that we, we wanted most of kind of those sideline seats, those $79 seats. So pretty much everybody that – I mean, anybody that requested that through us is going to be in, you know, a section that they prefaced on their order. As far as uh, if there's anybody that wants, do we have any like uh, for premium seating? I know there's some of our friends uh, that have a few more dollars than I do. Um, are there like premium seats that folks can purchase through the Pirate Club or through you guys? Unfortunately, not. The bowl kept all the premium seating inventory. There are a few few different options through the bowl. I don't think they have any more suites, but they do have stadium club seats for two hundred dollars which are, are on our side of the field, so that west side, sections 101 to 103. And those seats, I mean, they have access to that club. It's, I mean, it's a good seat. You got food and beverages that are complimentary inside there, kind of an air-controlled environment, and they got chairback-style seats. So, I mean, that's a you know, good alternative option. Obviously, we want everybody to purchase through us, but they are good seats. Uh, Coleman, before we talk a little bit more about East Carolina and Coastal Carolina, Kind of want to deviate away from that for for a bit, and since it's the first time we've had you on the show, um, let Pirate Nation get to know you a little. I know you're from Greenville originally. You went to D.H. Conley High School. Um, you have two degrees from East Carolina, uh, a bachelor's in business administration and risk management in 2012, and then also your MBA and a certificate in sport management in 2015. And then you um, spent a year and a half at Maryland and then also uh, four years at Cal Berkeley. Um, so some time there in the Big Ten as well as the Pac-12. Uh, so um, just tell us a little about yourself in, in those regards. Yeah, like, like you touched on, man, I'm a, I'm a Greenville boy, kind of ra- raised to be a pirate. I think the uh, kind of first cognitive memory I had was just me at, uh, at a tailgate in a Marcus Crandall jersey. So I. I bleed it and I bled it. And, you know, I, um, let's see, I mean, I finished up undergrad, kind of had the intention that I I wanted to be in sports, kind of jumped into uh, an internship right when I got done with undergrad with perfect game down in kind of the Gulf area. I knew, yeah, I really liked working in sports and wanted to turn this into a career. 
once I came back for my master's, I actually started working in the ticket office kind of as a student employee, getting my feet wet there. And then the thing with this industry, you kind of got to kind of jump around. You can't really, you know, choose the job at first. You kind of go to where the career takes you. And that's what led me to Maryland for about a year and a half, you know, work there, work my butt off there, but learned a lot about the, the industry and the field and, and progressed into a, another opportunity at Cal. Stayed there, honestly, for longer than I thought I was going to, but had, you know, a really good opportunity to, to go out there. And then it opened up here when Scott Lane left and he'd been here like 15, 20 years and honestly never thought he was going to leave. So I was very excited to have the opportunity to come back and kind of let me work at my alma mater and a place that I've always loved and happy to be a part of it, to be honest. You know, here in uh, recent days, um, one of the big things um, instilling the headlines around the nation in the college football world was the hiring of Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, at Colorado. And um, when we spoke last Thursday, that's something I mentioned to you uh, as far as uh, your Pac-12 ties and, uh, you know, any conversations you may have had with the folks there at Colorado. Because I know even though they were 1-11, they still drew uh, relatively well. Um, given the lack of success uh, and lack of success over the last 15 years. But um, have you had any conversations with them since the hiring of Coach Prime? I, I haven't been able to get a hold of them. I know they're uh, they're pretty busy right now. It's I guess it's a good time to be a buff. And, and like you touched on, I mean, they – I don't know if it was ironic with their student section, but they, they packed it out every game. And I think it will be even uh, even more more so next year. No doubt. In fact, uh, that was one of the I'm glad that Bubba brought that up. How uh, how much of an impact does hiring somebody like Deion Sanders at a place that's been starving? I mean, I know they're going to win more than one game with him uh, coming up. And how many uh, how many tickets do you think you can sell just off of season tickets? Uh, I know that's speculative, but uh, as far as having Deion Sanders come, Coach Prime comes in and. Uh, Man, he they, he did more than I think win the press conference. Uh, I mean, it's hard to put it into words, man. They're, they're definitely going to see a growth. I mean, you saw with us this year just jumping 2,500 in season tickets with NC State on the schedule and that home schedule and the hype heading into the year. So to get that kind of hype, to have a coach like Dion who's going to bring in the recruits, I mean, they're, they're, the sky's the limit there. There's no telling how many they can bring in. That's something along those lines. I mean, who knows what it would have been. But if I was uh, South Florida and perhaps they did, I would have been doing everything I, I could to uh, try to hire Deion Sanders because of uh, the impact that we're already seeing at Colorado. Um, the, the content that uh, Deion Sanders Jr. is putting out on his um, YouTube account. I, I know their YouTube accounts at the minimum, it's grown seventy-five to 80,000 subscribers just since his hiring there in Boulder. Uh, they, they do a tremendous job with their social media team. No, they really do. And if, if South Florida had a chance to, to nab him, man, they, uh, they definitely missed out on a good one. No doubt. In fact, uh, we've got some comments and questions here for you. Coleman, you're a popular dude here tonight. And uh, Bubba, I'll throw it to you. There's Diane Pond. She says hi. Yeah, Diane, of course, Diane and Britt Ponds, uh, loyal pirates for years and years. Uh, very generous um, with their 
contributions to East Carolina athletics. Uh, so appreciate Diane chiming in. Richard Osbrook saying great job by Coleman and the ticket office staff uh, with what took place back in June with the regionals and super regional games against Texas. Yeah. And also I know Craig had a question about, uh, Oh, let's see. Yeah. He said he wanted to be clear that he's not bashing the process. He fully understands. Uh, I'm just not currently able to, to better his status. Um, so it didn't work out for me for the military bowl. So I didn't take the chance this year, but he, he just wanted to make sure that he wasn't, uh, coming across the wrong way to you <laughs> no no not at all I mean I, I understand yeah the the process kind of kind of is what it is and I mean works out sometimes but hey I'm glad he's going to be there and you know looking forward to having his support down there I know the team is he also has a question about baseball tickets uh, season tickets so um, he had that up a little bit and he's asking are there the only season tickets left for baseball jungle tickets Yeah, that that's correct. Uh, right now, we, I mean, we, last year we sold out of everything in the stands. So any, any new season ticket orders are are first allocated in the jungle. We do have the option, kind of in the comments area, or if they call the ticket office, to put in a request for the stands, and then we'll fill those in in Pirate Club priority if we have anything open up. Now along those lines, um, I know um, we discussed this last week when we spoke, Coleman. Tell Pirate fans who who did have a season ticket or tickets in the the grandstand last year uh, what they need to do um, or you know when they need to renew those season tickets by uh, if they're going to do so because I know it's right after the new year. Exactly, yeah, we're we're live with renewals right now, and our, our priority deadline order deadline is January third. So we, we, you can go online. So, I mean, you have your kind of online application there. We mailed out renewal apps. So everybody that had season ticket last year should have received kind of renewal applications in the mail. So just fill that out, return it to us, and then we'll get everybody locked in. And how many season tickets are there, Coleman, for baseball? So that's, a, that's a unique number. Last year, I think, I don't know if we put the number out, but, it, I mean, it was around 2,500 that we sold. but. Wow. With with a venue of that size, I mean, you have to you have to hold a certain amount of the inventory back for students. I believe our number across the board is twenty percent. So that's I mean that's a thousand right there. You got to hold back for students, and then obviously the the team gets their kind of NCAA or NCAA tied tickets. And they get four per. So kind of when you break down those comps, it it adds up quickly. I see, I see, and uh, as a, we love baseball so much in Greenville that you could probably make that. What ten, fifteen thousand stadium? <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of seats. Uh, oh, dude, no doubt. <laughs> I wish we could. I wish we could. And we were talking uh, uh, pre-show in the green room that you know they're working on that left field side, and I, I know it's really early in the process, but uh, for our friends like Diane Pons and Britt Pons and Bubba Rosenbaum, all the Rosenbaums, I'm sure there'll be the Allsbrooks, like Richard Allsbrook. I'm sure they'll be in left field. Uh, I know the ponds have some really good seats. I've seen Diane quite a few times out in the jungle, and yeah, I know where Richard sits. So yeah, they're they they got a pretty good spot. No doubt. No, no, oh yeah, Ri but, Richard uh, with a prime spot there on um, just to the left of uh, home plate. Uh, you know, with our good friend Alan Powell and uh, and and uh, Britt Ponds, and uh, as well as some others. But uh, yeah, so much excitement uh, as always, and rightfully so, with everything that Cliff Godwin and that staff has accomplished with 
pirate baseball. Um, just a matter of time before we bust down the door, but, uh, that's, that's something, uh, you always look forward to the spring in Greenville. No, there's no doubt about it, man. Nothing more exciting than pirate baseball. No doubt. And, uh, by the way, Coleman, again, before we let you go, how can people get tickets for Birmingham? We want to sell as many tickets as we can. I was hoping, like Bubba said, I know that's kind of tough, but, um, easy drive. It's very easy to get there. And uh, hopefully pe- more people can maybe get the time off if you have to tell, uh, tailgate. Listen, if you uh, carpool, whatever you do to get down there and uh, and come on back. So how can people get those tickets again? Yeah, pretty easy process. You go to ecupirates.com. It directs you right to that bowl landing page. Scroll down. The ticket link's right there. Or if you want to talk to someone on the phone, you can give us a call during our business hours. And we're happy to talk to anybody and sell as many tickets as we can. All right, let the finger, your fingers do the walking. And by the way, one more question for you. Uh, Craig was asking, how are bas- basketball uh, sales going? Season-wise, it, w- it, went very, it went very well. Like last year, I think, I mean, this year we've sold upwards of 300 more season tickets. So, I mean, anytime you bring in a new coach, there's a little, you know, little, seems like there's always a little push forward. And it happened with Coach Schwartz. And I mean, tell those first couple couple games, even the student crowds have been amazing. I know now they're they're on break, so we're working on trying to fill that lower bowl during the holiday right. season. But they've been showing out really well those first couple games. And Craig, thank you for that question because you guys, I saw tonight on ECU Athletics, I saw a message on Facebook. You you've got eight dollar tickets for the lower bowl for the High Point game on the twenty first, right? Yep, it's actually High Point, Temple, and and UCF. So all the games the uh, the students are away. We're doing that holiday promotion with those lower level seats. There you go, Bubba. You got to come down. You and Gary, come on down. It's dead. <laughs> uh, well, Coleman, thanks so much, man. We're going to keep pushing the tickets uh, hard for you. You guys appreciate all that you do. Like I said, the first time I talked to you, thankless job. You guys are awesome and keep up the good work. And I hope you have a great holiday, holidays, plural. And we'll talk to you again very soon. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me on, fellas. Yeah, man. Hope you have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Coleman Spain, thanks for him coming on uh, very much. Executive Director for Ticket Operations. And uh, Bubba, very excited to have one of our favorite coaches back on. Coach Rick Minner, how are you, Coach? How are we doing up there? Or I should say down there. Uh, well, it's a tough day to be a college football fan. And obviously, uh, I, we knew we were going to have you on tonight to talk about, you know, obviously college football and bowl right. games and all that. I uh, just want to get your take on Coach uh, Leach. Uh, very sad day for losing him. And uh, it was very, I know it's very shocking and out of blue and still hard to believe for a lot of us. Well, first of all, my heart and condolences go out to the Leach family. You know, I felt like when this thing came down Sunday night or Monday, whenever that sad news was and the rumors got out there that it was a massive heart attack. And then when you read that message, it got released, I guess, last night by university and family. You kind of knew it wasn't good. And uh, then, of course, they released it out today. And, uh, you know, on the on the on the brighter side, if there is a bright side, you know, they say some of the holdup was uh, making arrangements for Mike Leach's organs to be donated. I mean, what a what a great, uh, end, in, you know, uh, in gesture, if you will, and a great thing of charitable giving. Mike was always very good about that. You know, I, I kind of knew Mike, but I didn't know Mike. Uh, uh, I know Bob Stoops. I know Hal Mummy. 
you know, all the guys that are descendants that, that have all worked together, sent Bob Stoops a text today. And I said, not only the Leach family, but the Stoops family, because you guys were so close, you know, all back through the years and the connections of the air raid. And, uh, you know, whether that's how the the Godfather and Mike pretty much the same as uh, I remember when uh, Bob Stoops got the job at Oklahoma, he and I were talking, I was at Cincinnati. He was, he just got the job at Oklahoma and he hires Mike Leach out of Kentucky, kind of a weird hire, if you will. Uh, at that time, Bob being a, a, a great defensive ball coach and a credit to Mike, he says, you know, Ricky said, I think I can come to Oklahoma and win faster by throwing the football and then we'll recruit to being able to run the ball. And I'll be darned if that's not what ended up happening is that he was so good at Oklahoma that first year in what, 99, that that got him the Texas Tech job uh, just after one season. And then the rest is history in terms of Mike Leach's legacy left behind, sadly, uh, last night. But uh, uh, you're talking about the, about the families at Texas Tech, the families at Washington State, and now Mississippi State, certainly condolences and heartfelt thoughts go out to all three of those major universities and all the programs and the descendants, the kids he coached, uh, the families of players he got to know, uh, his own family. Uh, it is a sad day. It really is. I was at Vanderbilt last year with my son, Jesse, and we played Mississippi State. And I went over and shook the hands of Mike Leach. I mean, Mike and I, like I said, didn't know each other. We had tremendous mutual friends. But you talk about an innovator and a guy that was – you know, kind of weird, crazy, cool in his own way. Uh, the one thing about it, you know, some people like to be different. And I think that was just Mike. He wasn't doing it to be different. But uh, there was this wild and uh, charismatic and off the wall. Any any adjective you want to use, that's Mike Leach. And uh, But, boy, you're talking about a, a tremendous loss today for all of mankind and college football. No question, Coach. One Another question I had, obviously we'll be talking about uh, Michigan, but uh, I heard today on the radio um, that, I don't know if this is true, so I'll just say that on a, a sports talk show, that Coach Nehemiah at Navy, so he's sitting there, he loses a double overtime game against Army, and we know about that rivalry, America's game, but the athletic director walks in while he's sitting there after he's just lost a game and fires yeah. him right in the spot. I just, uh, you know, uh, Bubba and I were talking um, this morning, texting, and, you know, I know about wins and losses. We, I mean, I know the, the old joke about a coach, if you haven't been fired, you haven't been coaching long and you know, all that, uh, it'll happen at some point. But I knew you were on tonight, and when I thought about that, I thought about you, and I was thinking, man, you know, I know there's a wins and losses thing, but that guy gave 15 years to your oh, absolutely. organization. He's a great guy from what I understand. I don't know him personally. But it kind of reminded me of you when you were coaching with Cincinnati and you have Coach Logan at our school. We had the utmost respect for you. We want to win that game against Cincinnati, but we we admired and respected you. Right. And, and the same thing with Coach Ken and Navy. It's like, wow, we uh, we didn't see that one coming, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm, ironically, I'm very close to this scenario at Navy in a sense that uh, Jesse's best friend, my son Jesse, defense coordinator here at Michigan, uh, his best friend is the linebacker coach at Navy. And uh, I love him like a son, almost helped coach him through his first 15 years in college coaching like a son. I was on the phone with him today. And so I kind of have some insight into how that happened, why it happened. Uh, you know, Chet Gladchuk, the AD, 
I've known Chet since the days of the uh, inception of Conference USA. He was down at Houston. Uh, not the most popular AD that's ever been around. And uh, it's been coming, I'll be honest with you, for a couple of years. Uh, last year, he, and you know, right after a loss last year, he goes, the AD goes into the locker room up there and fires the offensive coordinator. And, you know, you talk about a guy acting That's like a great. team, kind of acting like a team owner rather than a, a respectful AD. And then Nehemiah just kind of, you know, you know, his Kenny's demeanor is so calm and cool and collected and high class. Uh, and he smoothed that over. He kept, you know, he, he, he got it to where the guy kept his job. And then he started calling the plays in order to save his staff. Okay. And then this year they got off and, you know, they were, you know, for two years now, they've kind of taken a step back and it's primarily because they haven't had a, a dynamic quarterback at Navy over the last couple of years. They played tremendous defense. And I do think Brian Newberry is going to wind up getting that job up there to replace Nehemiah. And that's certainly not why he went there. And uh, it's so it's ironic. We talked about Mike Leach uh, a year and a half ago. Brian Newberry agonized when Mike got hired at, at uh, Mississippi State. The guy he wanted to be the defensive coordinator was Brian Newberry of Kennesaw State. Okay. And um, no, I'm sorry. He'd already gone to Navy by that time. Yeah, he'd been at Navy for a couple of years. But uh, that's the guy he wanted. And so I heard stories again about Mike and New and, you know, all the funny stories about Mike. How he interviews people. Um, you know, we're talking about Mike Leach. And, uh, but Brian Newberry is probably going to end up getting that job. And uh, he almost had an opportunity to go last year uh, to Virginia. And so uh, glad Chuck brought him in and kind of probably promised him, hey, you'll be the next head coach here if you'll just stay. And maybe they like each other, who knows. But it uh, wouldn't be surprising over the coming days that after things, emotions settled down by letting Nehemiah go so rudely that they then named Brian Newberry the head coach up at Navy. And then that would fare well for my friend. And, you know, he might get promoted in that still. But uh, it's a cold, hard business, you know. And uh, I've worked for a guy at Cincinnati who initially I helped get the job there as the AD. And then in the end, he has to let me go for whatever reasons, which he never gave. But he was really much like a team owner. And it makes it tough when those guys, ADs, act like that rather than let the coach be the coach and the administrators be the administrators and then sit down and talk when the given time is there and et cetera. But the way that was handled, he went right into the locker room after the game and wanted to fire him on Saturday right after this double overtime emotional loss to their arch rival or one of their arch rivals in the Army. And Kenny finally said, Chet, just calm down and let's let's do this tomorrow let's talk about it tomorrow well sure enough he fired him the next day and uh but the guy didn't have a whole lot of cooth to be honest with you uh, others do it better than that but that was a very cold way to get rid of a guy who served so loyally the academy for 15 years and you know ken will surface he'll do something uh, he's too good a coach too great a gentleman but uh you know it's it's not that we're owed uh, to keep our jobs if our bosses deem it, you know, necessary not to. But there are certainly ways to handle things. You know, ask Jerry Jones, did he re regret how he handled getting rid of Tom Landry to bring in Jimmy Johnson? He was going to make the change, but there's just ways to do things that show dignity in class. 
as a matter of fact, uh, Landry was the only coach for all that time from oh yeah, twenty nine years, sixty one to was yeah. eighty nine, eighty. Yeah. Something. I mean, it was a long time. So yeah. he's the reason why the Cowboys were. American I was born people. and raised in Texas. Now I I was a Tom Landry disciple. I mean, I love the Cowboys. Okay, I'm born and raised. So whenever you know Jerry comes in. And you knew he was going to make a change. Tom probably had lost the edge, and it was three straight losing seasons. So, you know, it was probably due. But he was like an icon and a hero because of his faith and his class, the way he handled himself for so long in the state of Texas. And you call down there while he's on a golf course and tell him he's fired uh, and not go down there meeting face-to-face and show class and dignity. And, and I've talked to Jerry myself personally uh, that he that is he's got two two regrets in his life uh, on how athletics has affected him. One is how he handled Tom Landry and two, uh, how he and Jerry or uh, him and Jimmy had to lead to a divorce. And it was all over ego both times. And uh, Jerry really hasn't changed a whole lot. He's still egotistical. But uh uh, you know, I hope he gets what he wants someday, and that's another Super Bowl opportunity. But uh, but there's just right ways and wrong ways to do things and treat people. No doubt, and and that I guess it's like karma uh, when uh, you have and and Jimmy, uh, I mean, gives you all this uh, two Super Bowls and uh, three if you count when Barry was coaching there. Oh, yeah. uh, those were all Jimmy's guys, but uh, man, they were so dominant. It was like a. a definitely a dynasty in the nineties, I would say uh, for those Cowboys teams. Yeah. It was the uh, youngest mean average team to win a Super Bowl. Wow. That means they got such a collection of young players all at one time, which was all Jimmy Johnson's evaluational skills. Then of course the Herschel Walker trade kind of capped it off. Now, Jerry certainly uh, is involved, was involved, uh, I mean, he put his butt on the line to get that franchise going the way it was going. I know all that. Uh, there's never been a more iconic owner in the NFL in the last 35 years than Jerry Jones. And he's done more for the NFL. He's done more for the owners of the NFL. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame already as a living soul and still, you know, hadn't retired or anything. So he's done really, really good. But he does have a Texas size ego. And it got in the way a few times, and it's come back to haunt him a little bit. Uh, you know, when they get in love with these players, the one thing that always happens to the Cowboys is they always get cap problems down there with some of their better players. And that's a credit to Jerry. The, good, the best thing about the Cowboys is Jerry Jones, and the very worst thing about the Cowboys is Jerry Jones. And it's all in good faith. It's in his good passion. He loves his players. If you're an NFL player, you'd want to play for Jerry because he'll love you up, he'll pay for you. Uh, but he just gets so strung out by overpaying these guys. And then when the when the tab comes due, he ends up having to cut some of those very favorite players that he fell in love with. Uh, so it's, it's hard for them to manage the cap down there on a sound basis. Um, one of the questions I had for you, Coach, is obviously I know that your team is in the playoff. Um, but uh, for those of us in East Carolina, we're very happy with the playoff expansion. I just want to get your take. We're obviously going to talk about the, the playoff here, but uh, first off, I want to ask you about that very fact. How, as a college uh, football coach, how do you like having 12 teams in a couple of years? 
I think it's going to be awesome. And I think there was no other way uh, we should have known about three or four years ago when they started talking about this 12 teams that something else was on the horizon. And what that was was these mega conferences expanding. I mean, there's no way the SEC and the Big Ten were going to sit there and expand to 14, 16, maybe 20 down the road members and have a 14 playoff because they needed more of their members to be eligible to get in those playoffs. I do like the 12 person or, you know, the 12 uh, team format. I think it's really cool. Uh, us having just played uh, 12 games and then a, a conference championship game, 13 games. I mean, our team is banged up and bruised just going through the rigors of 13 games. And so when these playoffs begin down the road, uh, it'll probably be a little bit less break in between your end of season because you got to get it going. But it's going to be critical that they who finishes one through four for you get that first round by, then right. let those other eight teams, you know, play it out and then pick it up from there. But I also like more than anything that it's an inclusive playoff. Okay. That means that all of the conferences, uh, you know, your powers and your groups, your, your best group, and all the powers are going to have representation. And I've always fought that because I was at Cincinnati a mid-major. I know they played their way in last year, but it was, uh, you know, if I was could be commissioner or uh, I guess the president of the NCAA for a day, my, my thoughts would have all, even though I'm sitting here now at a blue blood program and your position could change easily if you're kind of at the top. But I've always been about college athletics being much more inclusive. Uh, we're nothing without the smaller schools, uh, scheduling, all these things. I'm in favor of more equitable uh, opportunities for uh, more schools to get in the playoffs. That's for sure. So the 12-team playoff, I think, will go, go over pretty good. And also one thing, it, it seems like that, you know, I thought it was funny, and you, you're you're on the inside and I'm not. But everybody was saying the it, it'll mess with the regular season. I'm like, no, actually, for me, there's a lot of games I may not have paid it, even though I watch a lot of games like the guys on the show. But now there's a lot of games that maybe I would not pay attention to, or I would now I'm going to say, oh wow, this game and in, uh, in the Pac-12 has got some big implications tonight. Or I'll stay up later watching games where maybe I would have gone to sleep earlier. Oh yeah. I think just with uh, the fact that as of right now, at least SC and UCLA are coming into the, into the Midwest, you know, actually the big 10 now is going to be a league. That's literally coast to coast from California to New Jersey. Uh, you're going to have big 10 territory across the top half of the United States. Uh, you know, I can't say that I'm totally enamored with this thing. Us, us sitting at Michigan uh, and talking about UCLA and USC coming in. It, does it does it benefit, you know, this program? I'm talking about Michigan, or does it benefit SC? I try to argue with myself. You know, I think it benefits them more than it does us, and I simply because they already do a great job recruiting out west. If there's a a kid or two we can go out there and recruit, we're going to get them. I don't think by uh, annexing California to the Big Ten that we're just going to all of a sudden go out there and get guy after guy. Right. Uh, to come to the snow country of Ann Arbor. Now, if they come across the top half of the country, I'm talking about SC and UCLA, they come across the top half and can sell a kid on leaving, you know, cold weather football for the allure of LA and, 
and now particularly the NIL deals that those guys can be pulling off out there. You know, with you had the beach now, you had the NIL, you had playing in California, but you do get back home across to Chicago or or Columbus, Ohio, or somewhere uh, to where you can be seen more. Then I, I really think it benefits them more to be coming this way. Now it's going to be tougher on them. I mean, I think the Big Ten, in so many ways, is a better conference than the Pac-12. So their life just got a little bit harder and a little bit more challenging. The same way as Texas and Oklahoma going into the SEC, the bar just got raised. And uh, while there's stellar programs in a weaker conference like the Big 12, they're, they're, they're now going to have their bar raised each week. And USC and, and UCLA doing the same thing. They're coming to us. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, Arizonas and, and Oregon States and teams like that over there where they're going to be playing Big 10 football. No doubt about it. I, I, I wanted to ask, being that you're working in Michigan, I'm a huge fan of your head coach, uh, with Coach Harbaugh. Can you talk about working with him? What's he like? Because there's a lot of us, you know, you see you hear people say stuff in the media. Well, the one thing I tell you, the man wins a lot of games. And then there was always the talk about not being Ohio State. And now he's got that monkey off his back the last couple of years. Um, there was a, you know, talk about the playoff. Well, now you're doing that, you know, a couple of years in a row. So yeah. I just want to get your your thoughts on him before we talk about the matchup. Yeah. You know, I got to know about Michigan football when I moved to the Midwest in 1985. When I coached at Ball State, uh, Paul Shudell, a Michigan man, a guy that had been Bo's, Bo's O-line coach for 10 years up here in Ann Arbor, got the Ball State job. And through connections, I got hired as the D.C. That's kind of where I cut my teeth and got my initial stuff going pretty good. So I learned about the Michigan way. I knew Bo Schembeck, but I met him on many occasions. And Gary Moeller and Lloyd Carr and all these famous uh, Michigan people. And the program from the time I was around, you know, when Jim was playing, you know, 84, 85, 86, up in there, up until 2000, early 2000s, Michigan was just one of the blue bloods in college football. You know, they won the title in 97. Uh, they can compete. You know, the, the Ohio State-Michigan game was back and forth, kind of who was the hot coach. You know, John Cooper could never beat Michigan, and it cost him his job. And then other coaches like Brady Hulk and those guys could not beat Ohio State, and eventually it cost them their jobs. It's a very serious thing about who wins this game on a regular basis. But – over the last, since 2000s, early 2000s, Ohio State has had the number of the Michigan Wolverines. And they went through a period that was not traditional. Whenever they finally let Lloyd Carr go, they made a decision. They thought they had less miles of LSU, right? He's a Michigan man. They thought they had him brought back up here. Something happened in the final hours. And that got nixed or turned down, whatever the story was. And they did a complete U-turn and went and got Rich Rodriguez. Now, Rich, and I've coached against Rich. Rich is a great football coach and an awesome guy. But he was not a fit here in Ann Arbor. Just this culture and this tradition runs so deep of the Bo Schembechler way because it was Bo, it was Mo, it was Lloyd. Even Brady is a Michigan man, Brady Hoke. <laughs> But Rich Rod was not. And so not only did he not win just due to bad luck, coaching, whatever, but everything he touched, he tried to change here 
from the way things had been done. And so they ran him out, brought Brady in. He was kind of the in-between type guy, a great Michigan guy, but not really a rock star. And then that ran its course. And then Jim was you know, getting to that stage in the, with the 49ers and in the NFL world where, you know, they were kind of getting tired of him and San Fran, and he was kind of getting a yearning. And all of a sudden, Michigan's calling. And he decides uh, to come back. And he came back around, what, around 15, something like that. Uh, and it wasn't easy at the beginning. And he, and he hired Don Brown to run the defense. And early on, they had some successes, but they could never beat Michigan. And, uh, you know, he had different styles of offenses. He went through passing game coordinators. He went through a little bit of run game coordinators, had quarterbacks that transferred in, transferred out, could never quite get it right. And then he decided to do away with Don Brown, who was a cover one man-free guy that Ohio State could put 60 points on with all the picks and the rubs that they would run with great quarterbacks and receivers. Then Jim did an about face uh, philosophically about two years ago, and he brought in a young Mike McDonald from Baltimore Ravens uh, that had worked under John, his brother. John worked for me, remember, at Cincinnati, so we're all connected. And uh, and then he, uh, and then Josh Gaddis, the uh, the Broyles Award winner a year ago, ironically, a good solid coordinator. Uh, was told, hey, we got to change our ways and we got to start running the rock. And this is our strength at Michigan is running the football. And so they collectively changed their approach on offense to become a dominant run force. We got a tremendous weight program up here that's a factor in all of this. And then he hired Mike McDonald from uh, the Ravens to come in and be a little bit more, maybe Georgia, Alabama-like in a terms of kind of a too high safety you know type defense play with the front six front seven don't just try to overstorm the uh, front every you know the fort on every call like don brown might have done and started playing way too much man and so they began to uh, get it right in 21 and we're so physical and we ran the ball and we played really good solid defense with a couple of nfl number one edge rushers and that turned the corner and they, they got slipped up on by Michigan State in 21 uh, with that great runner from Wake Forest. And uh, other than that, they ran the table. They broke the jinx. It had been like 10 years in a row with OSU. And we beat them at home very soundly. And then all of a sudden, Josh Gaddis leaves, goes to Miami. Mike McDonald leaves and goes to Baltimore. And he reaches out and hires Jesse because he was actually next in line in 20 to be the guy or 21 to be the guy. But Jesse had taken a job to go to the uh, Vanderbilt unrelated, but he got a job at Vanderbilt, which turned out to be good. He got him back in college, got him calling defenses again. And then, uh, then Jim picks up the phone and calls Jesse and says, all right, I just need you to keep running the same defense. You guys were running in Baltimore because Jesse spent four years in Baltimore and it's been seamless. It's been awesome. Uh, he's done a great job. Now, back to your question. Jim Harbaugh is the salt of the earth. He is honest as the day is long. He's a tough guy, a very humble guy, very spiritual guy. Uh, but he does love running the ball. He believes in complimentary football. He does not dabble on the defense. He sits in all you know offensive meetings, but he does not run the offense. He lets his coaches coach it and run it. Uh, you know, he oversees the quarterbacks a little bit, keeps an eye on them, 
Uh, but the culture here is something that I've just have not had the privilege of being around very often. It is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, we got a couple of guys in the portal that for their own personal reasons want to go, but uh, the culture here that Jim's created and now this two year run of greatness in terms of running the football, playing really good defense. We've had two outstanding kickers and we've got great quarterback play this year uh, out of JJ McCarthy, but it all stems from Jim. And I know it was again, rockier to start with. They about ran him out of here a couple of years ago. And then he dabbled with the Vikings last winter one more time. But uh, once he came back, this was even after, you know, 21 of having the great year, but uh, he didn't get that Minnesota job. They went in a younger direction, like the whole league's going. And he came back and says, I'm here for life. And uh, the kids have responded. Uh, Jesse's really, really been a savior on defense for them losing their coordinator. He's made it even better than it was last year. And uh, this program is set up for a while, as long as we can recruit. And, uh, you know, we, we can talk all night about recruiting because recruiting now has turned into nothing but the NIL. And we are not overly big into that. Not that we don't get our guys money, but uh, we're not out signing contracts. We're not out bribing guys. We're not paying them X amount of signing bonus fees and things like that. And we'll lose some guys. In other words, other schools will beat us out because of that. But uh, the guys that come to Michigan are going to be Michigan men. They're going to be great academic, high character kids. They're going to be a part of a great culture. The NIL stuff, you know, the NIL stuff is there for them once they become a Michigan Wolverine, uh, but not necessary to buy their way in. Coach, do you know who plays, uh, who's the first opponent for Michigan next year? I do know. My man, Steve Shankwater. <laughs> yeah, I talked uh, talk to Sh or, uh, Tech Shank today. We were talking about a different, unrelated matter. But uh, Steve Shankwater, of course, is a, is a great man, a great coach. And Mike has done a really good job getting that program back to where it belongs down there at East Carolina. And they'll be a tough out. Uh, I was not happy when I saw the schedule come out, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I guess. I was not happy at all to see that ECU listed up there as that opening game, because I know what they'll bring. And uh, we'll have our hands full from the get-go. Uh, we're fortunate to have a lot of home games at Michigan. We have four straight to open the season again next year. And uh, But trust me, uh, the guys up here will be made full aware by me of how tough any East Carolina team will be when they set foot in the big house. Yeah, Coach, we were hoping that we could meet you. In fact, uh, Bubba and myself, there's others that – you know, it's a dream come true just to be able to see a game in the big house. Oh, it's an awesome place. Uh, I brag to the young coaches around every now and then. I said, fellas, I am 2-0 in the big house. Now, I just want you to know this. Uh, <laughs> I was at Notre Dame twice, 92-93 uh, with Lou, then made a return trip back when Charlie Weiss got the job, 05-06. And we had a constant rivalry going on mm. with Michigan during those four years. And both times that we played, uh, once in 93 uh, and then once in uh, 05 over there at over here in Michigan, we won both of those games at Notre Dame. And it was a tremendous feeling to silence 100,000 fans and all that kind of stuff. And then they beat us one time over there and tied us once over there. But that Michigan-Notre Dame thing is a big rivalry. And I'm sorry that we're not playing each other right now, you know, with all the league 
adjustments and the league affiliations and, and Notre Dame jumping into quasi-ACC, that kind of killed that rivalry for a while. Coach, as you take a look at this defense, uh, averaging, um, allowing only 13 and a half, not, not even 13 and a half points a game, um, third in the nation uh, against the run, just 85 yards per game, less than three yards per carry, and uh, do a tremendous job in the red zone, um, generate a ton of sacks. But uh, one of the things that um, that I really noticed is that, uh, you know, how those sacks and TFLs were really spread throughout the roster. And uh, so just, just talk about your role um, on this staff as a defensive analyst and all that you do to uh, to help Jesse as well as um, the other yeah. position coaches. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a fun job for me. When Jess got the job, it was ironic that he and Jim got into discussions and Naturally, I was an analyst for him down at Vanderbilt. And so my first desire would have been, hey, Jess, you know, see what you can do to help me out here, brother. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but it was Jim Harbaugh talking to Jesse in this interviewing process and uh, the hiring process. And he says, well, Jess, your dad works with you. They know about and Jim. knew. I don't know. I didn't know Jim real well before coming here. Uh, I know John very well. And John always spoke highly of me to Jim. And uh, and I knew Jack, which is Jim and John's father. He lives right here next door to Jim in Ann Arbor. And they love their father like it is. I mean, he is their idol. And uh, and Jack's around every now and then. He'll walk around. He'll do this. He'll do that. Uh, down through the years, he's consulted his two sons. Uh, Jim and John works for him a little bit. We're breaking down film. The reason I'm bringing all that up was Jim was talking to Jesse and said, well, I heard your dad's working with you down there at Vanderbilt. He said, yeah. He said, why do you like that? Is it going good? Do you, you know, do you, does it helpful? He said, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's good. It's good. He says, well, why don't you just take that? Come on up. We'll hire him. Give him an analyst job. Well, that was easy. I mean, I said yes right away, but that kept Jesse from having to be the one to kind of push that envelope. And he might've been uncomfortable doing it under normal circumstances. So it was really good that Jim was the one who advocated it. But now that I'm here, uh, I'm just one of about oh, four or five analysts we have on defense. Offense has four or five. Special teams have a couple. That's college football today when you can afford such luxuries. So you've got your 10 coaches, your two GA or your four GAs, and then uh, analysts, interns, whatever you want to call them. Now, the restrictions are I can't coach. I can't teach the kids. My job is to work with the coaches. And so my ultimate responsibility, besides just a little bit of a personal consultant to Jesse, uh, is the run game. And it's kind of first and second down run game. That's my expertise area. All of us have areas that we have to make presentations and make reports and some recommendations and things like that. So mine just happens to be first and second down runs. Other guys do the passes, the third down, the pressures. The, but I'm involved in everything. I sit in all the meetings. I open my mouth every now and then. Uh, the guys respect me, but by the same token, I'm not there to run the defense. I've got to stay in my lane, go behind closed doors. If I really want to say something to Jess that, you know, I'm never going to challenge him in front of the staff. And if I need to say something to him that, I think you should know or hear, I'll certainly do it with class and do it one-on-one -on -one and just bring it up to him to make him aware. And uh, 
but it's fun. It's fun for me because I'm in the game. I'm in a great program. I've got great pride watching my son uh, do a really good job. I've been impressed by him. Uh, and then I get to be a grandpa. I was just tonight over at the uh, uh, private Catholic school that my that two of my three grandchildren attend. One of them was doing a, a little uh, concert singing recital type thing. And so I get to be a grandpa. I get to be a father. I get to be uh, a co-worker with Jesse. Uh, I'm sitting in a condo that I just have had completely remodeled. It's just about done. And my son in New York, Jesse's older brother, is my designer. And he comes in here and does all this kind of stuff for me. So uh, it's all a family affair. And uh, But I love being here. Uh, but I love working with Jim uh, because he's just such a class, down-to-earth gym rat. He is just a gym rat who loves football. Uh, he loves to practice. He loves to coach. Uh, you can tell he's a coach's son. Jesse's a coach's son. Uh, so it just makes our culture around here really, really good in regard to staff. Coach, we're two and a half weeks out from the uh, Fiesta Bowl showdown out in Glendale, um, 4 o'clock on New Year's Eve against the 12-1 and TCU Horned Frogs. And uh, as you take a look at TCU, man, uh, that performance that Max Duggan had in the Big yeah. 12 Championship uh, – Talk about what you're seeing on, on tape of, of the Horn Frogs. Oh, they're legit now. Uh, they very they much are. They're kind of wired like we are. I think Sonny Dykes, son of a coach, uh, is a guy that believes in running the football, believes in uh, discipline, culture, uh, belief, all those things. I think you would see that uh, a Sonny Dykes and a Jim Harbaugh would probably be very, very similar. And, uh, you know, his dad was a, a, a coach out at Texas Tech, a, a defensive coach, uh, Sonny being the offensive guy. Uh, they've got a good offensive setup. Now, you got young Lincoln Riley's brother, Garrett, uh, the winner of the Brawls Award that Jesse was a finalist for, uh, is the is the Brawls winner. And that's a credit to Garrett. He's done a heck of a job. Uh, Sonny lets him call the game and kind of calls it like a Riley, kind of wide open. But they run the ball. They spread you out and run the ball, and they have the X factor with Max. Uh, he is a, a outright tough guy, a winner, a, a way better than average athlete. They've got tremendous skill on the outside. They're well coached up front in the offensive line. Their backs run extremely hard. They're about 50-50 run and pass. They're not just a pass-happy team in the Big 12. I think the reason they're winning the Big 12 or took it to the wire uh, into overtime because K-State and Te and and really TC are kind of wired the same. They're probably the two most physical teams in the Big 12. And I think, you know, still physical ball wins. And so I think we got our hands full with the skill at the wide out, the winner at the quarterback, uh, the scheme in general of just uh, kind of take what the defense gives you. But uh, I've seen many a long run on film. I've seen many a long pass on film. I've seen many a quarterback long run on film. So uh, we got our hands full, and uh, but it would be fun going out there and playing those guys. Coach, I know you're obviously paying attention to uh, the matchup with TCU, but what about the other two opponents with Georgia and Ohio State, uh, one that you obviously know very, very well. Yeah. Um, but the four teams are great uh, this year. I, I'm really excited about it. And uh, what about the other two teams in the playoff? Well, I think if you – 
I know there's a lot of people. I mean, you know, we didn't really want Ohio State in the playoffs. That's just natural Big Ten rivalry. They backed in there, so to speak, but they're credit. They had a great year. They had a good team. If you had to rank all the teams that are in the playoffs, one through four, you know, you could argue that it would be uh, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, TCU. But due to the way the rankings were, there was no way that was going to change. And that was good for us because I think that other game is a classic matchup. Ohio State's very capable of beating Georgia. I think Georgia will win the game. A good friend of mine is the offensive coordinator for Georgia. Unfortunately, at Vanderbilt last year, we played Georgia, uh, obviously an SEC East opponent. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we are at Vanderbilt and they were at Georgia. And so that was a 62 to nothing game. And I saw those guys up close and in person. I know Kirby. When Kirby got the job in Athens, I interviewed with him uh, for one of these similar jobs I have right now. I was just looking to be kind of an analyst, off-the-field guy. Mel Tucker was his uh, D.C. Sam Pittman was the O-line coach. I mean, all these guys. Uh, and I was hoping at that time, back in uh, 17, to get the job. It just didn't or uh, That would have been 16. Uh, to get the job. It just didn't work out. Life has a way of coming out the way you want it to. But Kirby's smart. I think Georgia is now the Alabama of 10 or 12 years ago. They are going to be the team that just constantly reloads uh, each year. They're never going to rebuild. They're going to reload. Todd Munkin is a great offensive coordinator. Uh, might be one of the best in the whole country because he's coupled with a great head coach who's really defensive-minded. And so they, I think Georgia, I've always said Georgia's the best job in the country because of high school recruiting in the state of Georgia. And now Kirby with his dad being raised, Kirby's a coach's kid, you know. So he understands the value of defense, understands the value of running the football, plays situation defense and situation offense. I think Georgia will win that game. I really do. And, uh, but I think, Ohio State has tremendous talent. I mean, they really are one of the more talented teams in the country. I just think, on you know, since I've seen them both up close, know a little bit about their backgrounds, I would pick, I'd probably take Georgia to win that game in a tough game. And it's going to take attention out of both of their teams to focus on that game and never look past it uh, to what they think might be us or, uh, uh, you know, TCU. But, uh, It'll be a heck of a game. We play first, which is good. Uh, so we play the 2 o'clock tip-off out there. We got a chance to, you know, try to win a game and then sit back and watch the next game and and visualize who we could be playing. Uh, I'm going to break down Georgia this week and next and just be ready just in case. The good news is we've already got everything broken down on Ohio State. Uh, we've beaten them two years in a row. If it happened to be them, we wouldn't feel that bad except we didn't want them in the playoffs to begin with. But uh, I think it's a classic. You've got two blue bloods right there. I mean, you've got Georgia and, and Ohio State. They don't get any better than that now. But uh, I think it'll be a classic game. But I think I, I would take Georgia to win the game. Now, early on, uh, Coach, we talked about the coaching change taking place at Navy. Um, you have the Charlotte 49ers coming into the American. Uh, so that that is of interest to – East Carolina fans and uh, Charlotte's new head coach, Biff Pogey, um, yeah. somebody that you're very familiar yeah, with. Absolutely. 
been on staff uh, for the second time there at Michigan. So tell us what you can about him. Uh, seems to be a very uh, interesting character in his own right. Uh, love the sleeveless shirt. <laughs> you know, Biff is uh, – he is a unique case, uh, to say the least. Uh, one, you would say, well, how did he get the job? You know, not having been a college head coach before or not much on the college game other than up here, kind of in an advisory type of capacity. He's been a tremendously great high school football coach. Uh, this guy is a phenomenon guy. I mean, his story will someday maybe have a movie made of it if he goes down there and somewhat successful. This guy was a high school coach, uh, started having children, wasn't making any money and decided to kind of get out of the coaching ranks and begin to put together and manage a hedge fund. Had all kinds of investors, but surrounded himself with really good friends of his that were smart guys uh, from Wall Street and advisors and all this kind of stuff. And everything that hedge fund or Biff touched turned to gold. I mean, it worked. And it made tons of money. And so much so that over time, he bought all of the investors out, just kind of paid them off their original investment and profits and whatever they do on those kind of things. So now he and his family own all these businesses. So he is wealthy for life. He doesn't have to work a day. Okay. But he just loves being around kids, loves giving back. Uh, he'll be very generous, I'm sure, with some of his own resources there at Charlotte. But uh, uh, now, all of a sudden, he's, he's lived the dream. He's been a high school coach. He's worked for Jim, but now he's on his own. He's got to get out there and, and prove he knows what he's doing. And, and personally, we at Michigan, we all wish him well. We'll keep our doors open for him and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it'll be interesting to watch uh, because it is a guy that is not coming at it the normal way. He's not a Mike Houston. You know, Mike, I mean, Mike came up you know, through the ranks and he's won at every level he's ever been a battle-tested, proven head coach at the college level. So it'd be kind of interesting to see that dynamic. I do think that Charlotte John is a, is a tremendous opportunity uh, because of location, uh, maybe financial commitment. And I think these places today that are maybe a little more uh, urban-like and have great city lives around them, with this NIL, they've got some real opportunities if they take advantage of it. And a guy like Biff, if there's ever a guy that can come in there and say, all right, here's what we're going to do in NIL, I'm going to talk to a whole lot of these business people and get people behind our program, then he's got a, a, a knack and a way of being able to do that. So it's going to be interesting to watch. We congratulate him for sure. Uh, we pull for him uh, that he's going to be successful. Uh, but it will be interesting to watch the dynamics of it unfold. Yeah, very intriguing hire. Reminds me of several years back when Coastal Carolina hired Joe Mowgli. Yeah, same hire. Pretty much the same hire. I don't know what that guy's background was prior to other than just financial. You know, where, where did he develop a love of athletics and, you know, all that sort of thing. I mean, Biff legitimately coached high school football and has done a great job. I mean, his winning record is unbelievable in the high school level. So he knows something about coaching and people and players. But uh, just in general, it, you know, not everybody can do that. And if he can do it and find a way to win there and really get it off the map, 
uh, then that would be a tremendous credit and a heck of a success story. Uh, no question about it. I think uh, it's going to be great. In fact, it sounds like with uh, NIL, like you talked about, recruiting-wise, they'll probably have a, a, a good – and that Charlotte area has a lot, as you know, Coach, she has a lot of great uh, football there Absolutely. in that area. Or South Carolina, not too far away, so we'll do that. Uh, Coach, we kept you very long. Thank you so much. You're always very good for us. Good luck to Michigan. Give our best to the, uh, Coach Harbaugh and everybody there and to Jesse and uh, – We'll be pulling hard for you, and uh, we won't be in, I think it's September 3rd. We won't be pulling for you that day. But no, be, uh, be sure and reach out when you guys come up here next fall, seriously, Okay. You know, on that opener. Yeah, definitely let's get together uh, or at least talk uh, the week of or something. But, uh, uh, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. Call me anytime. All right. Yes, sir. Appreciate Good. it. Wish you the best uh, also for the holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Again, condolences to Mike Leach's family. Absolutely. Good night, Coach. Thank you. Well, uh, what a great show, Bubba. I didn't know that we uh, talked to – I just looked up and, uh, you know, you talk to a legend like Rick Minter, man, it's uh, time flies when you're having fun, right? Yeah, always uh, appreciate Coach Minter spending so much time with us on um, several times now that we've had him on the program. He's always so honest. I'm like, yeah, no doubt. He's. Uh, no doubt. Hey, uh, Bubba, by the way, I want to let everybody know um, on Saturday. We're going to be at Porky's Backyard Barbecue. Uh, so we love everybody to stop by. We'll give a, a definite time. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is we're having a toy drive um, that's going to benefit the James and Connie Maynard Children's Hospital at ECU Health Medical Center. And uh, we want to make sure to uh, and definitely for people to bring unwrapped toys. And I know people, you were asking about that. It may be in their eyes uh, a little late. Um, but at the Children's Hospital, they're very excited we're doing that. And uh, we're teaming up with Corky's and Mark and Terry Holiday. They're generous people. You know how we are, Bubba. So we're putting it together. So if you guys want to bring a toy uh, to Porky's on Saturday, um, anytime, just take it by there. And what we're going to do is we'll take all those toys. Uh, that's my day job. And we'll take those toys um, on Monday to uh, all the great folks at Children's Hospital. Yeah, we'll have that uh, graphic and information on our social media. So, you know, be it Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, TikTok, uh, you'll be able to find it there. Um, we'll, when we're able to, you know, pin it to the top of our, our page, um, we'll do so. Uh, so it's easily accessible and uh, I appreciate anyone who's able to make a donation. But uh, promoting some of our uh, content uh, last night, uh, we had a tremendous conversation between uh, former East Carolina strength and conditioning coach Jeff Connors and Atlanta Falcons offensive line coach Wayne Letchard. Uh, if you missed that, go back and check it out. Uh, unbelievable, uh, you know, 65 or 70 minutes with Wayne. And he's, he's spent time at Louisville, NC State, App State, as well as some other schools, and uh, is now um, for the last two or three seasons at least in the NFL. And uh, he's someone uh, we certainly want to hang on to Mike Houston as long as we can. But when, when time comes to hire a new football coach, 
uh, down the road, uh, then uh, Dwayne Lester is definitely a name to keep an eye on, uh, and no doubt about it. Um, uh, hey, Bubba, you must be, Bubba, you must be reading my mind because I know for a fact that uh, you know how Harbaugh came back to his alma mater. Well, Ledford um, had a lot of co- he's had a lot of coaching experience, a lot of great stops there, as you mentioned. And I know for a fact that's like his dream job to come back to East Carolina. We're not trying to, as you said, uh, to push Coach Houston out. We're very happy with Coach. Um, but if Coach Houston does go, um, then certainly uh, we'd love to have uh, Coach Ledford come back home if that uh, comes up. Um, Bubba, very excited about all the great content. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the matter of days. Uh, by the way, get your tickets again ecpirates.com. Give them a call during business hours if you would like to do. You're old-fashioned like me. 1-800-DIAL-EC. want to thank Coleman Spain, the Executive Director of Ticket Operations, for coming on tonight. And also, we want to thank, obviously, Coach Minner again. Appreciate you, Coach, uh, for all that you do for college football. And again, very sad uh, losing Coach Mike Leach today. We're uh, If you know this show and you are a college football fan, you know how special he was and we're going to miss him a lot and miss uh, want to give a shout out to his family and uh, all the people there in Mississippi state and all the other places coaches. I know it's a very hard day for them. I uh, want to thank everybody. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, we're getting close to, uh, I think we have about 700 and uh, well over 750 or, or close to 750 somewhere around there. Um, but uh, we are getting closer and closer to that thousand mark as a goal we've had since we started the show and we had 250 new subscribers in 2022 alone. So thank you very much for that. And uh, I know you say, Oh, that doesn't sound like a lot. It's for, it's not as easy as it seems for sure. I uh, want to get, say also, by the way, to get uh, feeling better to Kyle Barber, our very own Kyle from LaGrange. Uh, I know he's had a tough day. So we're thinking about you brother. And uh, obviously our other friend, Matt Simmons as well. All right, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much, Bubba, my friend, for another great show. And uh, until next time, you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. And as always, go Pirates. Every touchdown with the cannons blast Get it on, get it all, get the wind going like the